and welcome to Talking Migration. I'm Clara Sandlind and Talking Migration is supported by the Centre for Research in the Social Sciences at the University of Huddersfield and the Migration Research Group at the University of Sheffield. Should progressive parties adopt nationalism in order to overcome the difficulty of promoting an agenda that is both pro-redistribution and pro-immigration? We previously discussed the potential conflict between migration and the welfare state on this podcast, last time with an economist and a political scientist. This time I'll be talking to two of the most prominent political theorists in the field of migration, citizenship of identity, Professor Will Kimlicker and Professor Rainer Beiberg. And we'll discuss what this conflict consists of and how we may overcome it. In a recent special issue of the Open Access Journal Comparative Migration Studies, Will Kimlicker, who is Professor and Canada Research Chair in Political Philosophy at Queen's University, wrote an essay entitled Solidarity in Diverse Societies Beyond Neoliberal Multiculturalism and Welfare Chauvinism. He discussed the so-called progressive dilemma and this conflict between migration and the welfare state and argued that progressives should embrace a multicultural nationalism in order to overcome it. Several scholars discussed Kimlicker's thesis in short responses, including the special issue editor, Rainer Beiberg, who is Professor of Social and Political Theory at the European University Institute. Beiberg takes issue with Kimlicker's thesis, being sceptical that liberal nationalism is the way forward for progressives. I started by asking Will Kimlicker what the progressive dilemma actually entails. What is it that progressives feel that they need to choose between? And to what extent is this dilemma, or trilemma as Beiberg would like to call it, real in contemporary liberal democracies? Well, I think in the first instance, the progressive's dilemma is a, it's an electoral problem, which is that when uh, the social democratic parties um, come out strongly and vocally in favor of immigration and multiculturalism, they tend to lose votes to other political parties uh, and and in the worst case to uh, to far-right populist parties. And so progressive parties feel they need, in order to avoid losing votes, that they need to, um, to either abandon um, certain commitments to, immigra- to, to immigration and refugees uh, um, and to multiculturalism, or at least to moderate them or, or um, just not talk about them, uh, to hide them, as it were. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's a real phenomenon. I, I, think, I think the um, uh, surveys of public opinion and of voting patterns suggest that that really is an electoral risk uh, that progressive parties face. Um, that they can lose votes if they appear too soft on, on immigration. Um, I think the one, one puzzle is to figure out why um, many traditional voters of social democratic parties would switch votes, would switch parties based on these issues. What, what explains um, the loss of votes? And I'm, I'm particularly interested in the question of whether that's primarily driven by uh, economic motivations that that uh, that say that that traditional white working class worries that immigrants are economic competitors who will um, take their jobs or 
or compete for public housing and so on, uh, or whether it's rooted in cultural anxieties about the impact that immigration will bring to the uh, to the culture of the society. And uh, undoubtedly, both factors uh, are are relevant. But uh, I do think that the cultural factors are are uh, can be very powerful. Um, and that th therefore the progressive parties need to think about how, how we can address the cultural anxieties around immigration and multiculturalism. Thanks. Is that how you see it as well, um, Rainer? Uh, yeah, I agree on the basic point that the progressive dilemma, I see it rather as a trilemma because I think there are three goal, progressive goals involved. Uh, it's not just uh, multiculturalism and uh, social solidarity in the welfare state, but also immigration policy in the first place. So how open or how closed should borders be? Uh, uh, I also think that these three progressive goals are not inherently incompatible with each other. So uh, under the right conditions, it is possible and it has been possible occasionally, historically, in certain moments in certain countries to combine them to assert them both at the same time and still to get uh, the vote and the mandate to follow up on these uh, issues with uh, public policies. Uh, however, in the current context, there is indeed a perception that they are incompatible. So public opinion data, as well as the outcome of electoral results, suggest there is indeed uh, a, a strong tension between these dilemmas and parties that compete for power power would naturally see these as trade-offs. They can emphasize one or the other thing, but not all three at the same time, or else the risk uh, to end up in a strong minority position in the electoral market. Um, I have no clear idea what, uh, you know, what drives this loss of confidence in the progressive capacity to combine these goals. I think indeed it's plausible to assume that it's both a result of the Great Recession so uh, the uh, the perception made basically among the working class that the old pact that says, well, you, you'll accept progressive and liberal policies and you get continuous rise of your wages and a, a containment of unemployment. Uh, and, and that will uh, that buys the support for the progressive policy that is no longer working because on the economic side, uh, neoliberal and capitalist policies have shown to be uh, incapable of uh, preventing these kinds of crises from, happen, from happening. So uh, that, I think, uh, helps to articulate what is probably a more uh, steady and underlying cause of the problem, which are the cultural anxieties, which is basically the message, if you want to be pessimistic, that the working class has never been won over to the progressive cause of uh, multiculturalism and relatively open uh, borders for immigration. Uh, it, it has, uh, in a way, uh, silently agreed to it as long as it didn't see this uh, threats to its own position. But now you find the counter-reaction that feeds into the endorsement of populist policies. So I guess, in a way, both of you think that the dilemma is, is more about perceptions and actually convincing people to uh, wanting to combine these progressive goals rather than an actual sort of objective dilemma. You can't combine certain levels of immigration with um, particular welfare state models. Is that right? Well, that, you know, perceptions do matter in democratic politics, especially if they are translated into votes. 
So it's a, it's a little bit too easy to say this is just perceptions. Uh, you know, as uh, Will and I are both more uh, political theorists than uh, empirical scholars of, of democracy, but uh, I think it would be a little bit too easy for us to say, in theory, these goals can be combined. I think they are normatively attractive, all three of them, and they are compatible as normative goals. Uh, however, uh, they need to find the support of, uh, of citizens in democracies in order to be put into practice. And that depends a lot on convincing these citizens, which means changing their perceptions. Mm. And the left and the liberal parties have broadly failed to do this, mm. uh, especially in recent years. So, Wilhelm de Geer, in your recent work, you've suggested that a form of multicultural nationalism could be a kind of remedy for the dilemma. So, do you think, so maybe first, what is it? And then secondly, is that what's going to convince um, voters then to uh, embrace these progressive goals simultaneously? Well, I, I mean, uh, that's my, I think it's a, an option that's, worth exploring. I, I think the left could, could, um, hasn't, hasn't, uh, explored that possibility as, as richly as it, as it could and should have. Um, so the, 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 the core premise is that progressive politics, uh, within, uh, modern societies depends on an ethics of membership, which is distinct from both uh, purely self-interested politics in which everyone just looks after their own self-interest or from unbounded cosmopolitanism, which uh, is the idea that we, we, we care equally for all humans wherever they are on the planet. Um, so my thought is that um, the welfare state uh, and other features of progressive politics depends on the idea that we have distinctive obligations to fellow members of a shared society. It's in virtue of being members of a shared society that we have um, more robust obligations, um, both in terms of redistribution of, of economic resources, but also in, in terms of uh, issues about accommodating each other's interests, participating in, in common activities. Uh, so I think there are social and political dimensions to an ethics of membership as well. And so if that's right, that, that um, progressive politics depends on an ethics of membership, the, the next question is, what's, what's, what's the possible source of this idea of being uh, of membership? And I just think historically for the past 200 years, it's overwhelmingly been the, the nation. So we, we, have, we, have, uh, we have this incredible resource uh, in our societies that, that that's, um, provides the obvious starting point for an ethics of membership, namely the, the fact that we're co-nationals, that we share a sense of nationhood, uh, share a sense of belonging together on a national territory, uh, have aspirations as, as a, a nation to govern itself. Um, so, so I just think that nationhood is the most obvious, most readily available source for an ethics of membership. But uh, if if it's to serve a progressive function, uh, not, nationhood needs to be reconfigured in a multicultural direction uh, because there are obviously many f conceptions of nationhood that are very, that are racist, that are xenophobic. Um, and so we need to supplement nationalism with multiculturalism uh, 
if we're to get a form of nationalism that is that is genuinely progressive. So that so that's basically the logic. The, 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 the core premise is we need an ethics of membership. The second premise is that nationhood provides the obvious starting point for an ethics of membership. And, and the third premise is that, that nationhood needs to be modified, supplemented by multiculturalism if it's to, to do the work we want it to do. Okay, thank you. And Rainer uh, Bywick, do you've um, argued sort of um, or taken some issue with this um, this position uh, and the um, and the hope that um, a national identity could uh, could be the answer to the progressive dilemma? So, what's your uh, take on this? Chair Will's first premise that uh, the three issues we are talking about, immigration, social redistribution, and uh, recognition and management of diversity, all require an ethics of membership. Uh, that uh, comes with some qualifications. For example, I think that uh, refugee admission is a matter of universal and global justice, more than about an ethics of membership. But by and large, the admission of other immigrants uh, is a matter of uh, membership because they need to be seen to uh, be future members of the society that admits them. Uh, where I'm deeply skeptical about Will's response is that uh, nationhood that has occasionally, not consistently, only occasionally in the past, indeed uh, provided for the idea that this is what we all share and uh, the nation state can meet these three goals. Uh, that, I think, is a thing of the past and no longer a guide to the future. I think the world has changed quite dramatically um, in the last uh, 50 years or so. The main change uh, that has made nationhood not entirely obsolete, but much more problematic is globalization and the increase of interdependence between nation states. Uh, and that has meant that uh, it is ever more difficult to imagine that nation states could concentrate the kind of power and competences that would be required to simultaneously pursue these three goals. Uh, so where does that leave us uh, if I still accept Will's basic premise that uh, you need an ethics of membership, you need to be able to appeal to people's sense that they share something in common with the immigrants that come in with the culturally diverse groups, and it's sufficient that they share, in, they share enough in common to also be willing to sacrifice some of their uh, income and wealth uh, for the sake of social uh, uh, redistribution. My, my answer to this is uh, the only possible alternative is then to look at uh, forms of membership that are viable and can exist above and below the nation state and to combine this with the nation state. I'm not a post-nationalist. I don't think that the nation state is going to uh, go away. It's going to remain as the bedrock uh, building block of the international system of states. But we do see already forms where powers have been devolved both below the level of the nation state and above the level of the nation state. And uh, sometimes these, power, these other levels of democracy seem to be the obvious ones that are better capable of addressing uh, some or the other goals of this uh, progressive trilemma. Let me just be a little bit more specific about this. I think there is very little hope to uh, uh, replay, to shift uh, social solidarity 
away from the nation state in a big way. I share uh, Will's skepticism about uh, cosmopolitanism when it comes to social redistribution. And this is because of the lack of shared membership and the very demanding types of solidarity that have to underpin uh, uh, democratic support for social redistribution. So social redistributive programs will have to remain largely uh, programs at the level of nation states also, and we can already see this in the European Union, if there is a lot of migration between these states that all have their social redistributive programs, they have to coordinate and adapt and harmonize or else they will face the phenomenon of capital flight and immigrant uh, attraction that destroys their capacity to uh, redistribute. Uh, when it comes to issues of diversity and of immigration control, I think uh, it is better to consider that uh, local levels uh, can deal with diversity in a way that nation states find increasingly difficult to do. The nation-state concept of multiculturalism that has been best explained and elaborated by Will in his uh, work is based on the idea of long-term settlement of immigrants that makes them somehow similar to the established national ethno-linguistic historic minorities that are already present in the territory of many democracies for many centuries. But the fact is that, at least in the context of Europe, but increasingly also elsewhere, we have an, a surge of mobility forms of migration that no longer necessarily end up in these patterns of permanent settlement. In Europe, if you look at uh, the scope of freedom of movement and how it has been increasing over time, it's quite obvious that temporary migrants that come with the right to cross the borders because the member states belong to the European Union cannot be seen as diverse minorities of the same type that can be addressed so easily by multicultural integration policies. You need a different conception of diversity and it's easier for cities, for example, to accept that uh, uh, people are citizens at the local level just because they're residents and their origins doesn't matter so much and doesn't distinguish the natives from the immigrants in the first place. When it comes to immigration regulation, I would look above the nation state. And again, uh, this is mostly thinking about Europe, where uh, you do have uh, open borders within the Schengen area and a common control of external borders. And in the refugee crisis of last year, the Europe was faced with the need to come up with a harmonious solution that, uh, uh, it, in fact, builds on solidarity between the member states. It's true that the EU has by and large failed to do so. But everybody who knows what this is about was convinced that member states cannot possibly come up with a better solution than could be found if this was more regulated, more harmonized and uh, at the European level. So it seems to be the logic of regional integration that helps European nation states to uh, survive in the context of globalization, globalization that also pushes them logically towards shifting immigration control powers upwards from the nation state uh, towards the European Union. So what we need then in order to get democratic support for these three goals is basically build up democratic support for social solidarity at the national level, for diversity at the local level, and for uh, uh, keeping borders relatively open at the supranational level. And all of this means moving away from the idea that it's always the same unit, the liberal nation state, that can address all the three goals. 
I think uh, also empirically, if you look at uh, how nationalism now is invoked in political discourses, the, image, uh, the, the, the result is quite clear. It's uh, the right-wing populists that invoke nationalism uh, and uh, in a very reactionary way. And I think it's a hopeless project to try to catch up with them by filling that old uh, vessel of uh, the nation state with uh, a progressive liberal content. At least in Europe, I think this game is over and we have to come up with more imaginative solutions for the future. And Will, do you, think, do you think that sounds like a feasible option? Well, I, I think we need to, um, you know, so I'm in, I'm in Canada and I think that there is a real uh, difference here between North America and, and uh, Europe. Um, so we, we have, um, uh, we have increasing economic, uh, integration with the United States after a very big free trade agreement, uh, uh, several years ago, but, um, we are as, uh, the, the prospect of any kind of political integration in North America Linking Canada, the U.S., and Mexico is is uh, basically um, it's a non-starter. No, no one is no one is pushing it at any point along the political spectrum, um, and so at least here in North America, there's no prospect of a of a supranational regional political entity taking on some of the functions that Reiner mentioned that the EU can take on. There is an issue about the relationship between uh, the national level and the city level. And I agree with, with Reiner that um, cities are kind of untapped. I mean, um, that, that, that we should think seriously about what cities can do um, on their own um, to promote uh, um, tolerance, coexistence, uh, accommodation, um, mutual respect. Um, and, and I think cities are actually a, an important site for for multiculturalism, but um, I, I I'm inclined to think that um, at the end of the day, um, these you know the the cultural anxieties that we we talked about right from the beginning um, are. They're, they're a mix of, um, I, I, I think they're, they're, they are, they have an inextricably national dimension to them. That's to say that um, when, when people feel anxiety um, around issues of immigration and multiculturalism, it's not necessarily a response to something that's happening in their neighborhood that could be solved by neighborhood level policies. It's actually, I think it is tied up with, with the anxieties about the, the, the society more generally, which people um, in their minds conceptualize precisely as the nation, the future of the nation. That's, that's the register within which they think about these, these issues. They worry about the future of their nation. And, um, and so I think that, that um, it's important for uh, successful integration policies and multiculturalism policies that people not view those as a threat to the nation. I, I just think that there's, and I don't think the city, I don't think city level policies can do that. Um, I, I think we need to be able to tell a story 
uh, about how multiculturalism is a can be um, a way actually of of enriching the nation and, and uh, building. I, so you know, in Canada, we, we this again is another difference with Europe. But people people without without paradox talk about multiculturalism as a nation building policy. People actually believe that that it that that the, the successful. Uh, modes of immigrant integration that include recognition of diversity helps to build the nation. And um, not, not all of that is going to be easily transferable to other contexts, but that, it, so long as people enter into the political arena with the thought that there's, some, that there's some inherent competition between support for multiculturalism and support for nationhood, I think we're in a terrible bind no matter how much power we give to cities. Or, or to supranational levels. So, so at the end of the day, I still think there's some there's some need for this project of of developing a multicultural nationhood. So, I suppose one worry um, that people have is that when you, so, so Reiner, you you mentioned, for example, that the the parties that so talk about nationalism the most is the populist right wing parties, and I suppose there's a worry that some people have that. Uh, if you start talking about nationalism more, any kind of nationalism, um, you're just sort of going to make um, the dilemma more apparent. So the more you sort of emphasize um, this kind of national belonging, the more perhaps people will feel like it's threatened by um, immigration. Is that um, a worry at all that we, sh- um, that we the sort of progressives should care about? What do you think, Will? Well, I, 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 so I think this is a real dilemma. I actually think it's a, it's, um, could be. I think empirically, there's a lot of evidence for what you've just said, which is that when national identities are, you know, social psychologists have studied this. When national identities are primed, when people are encouraged to think of issues through the lens of nationhood and national identity, that tends, in most contexts. To trigger uh, xenophobia or anti-immigrant sentiment, and so it's I, I I absolutely accept that there's this kind of built-in risk that the more we we uh, emphasize nationhood or prime nationhood or trigger ideas of nationhood, we're we're running a very high risk of triggering uh, xenophobia, but you know, so what's what's the solution? So, so I accept that. So, what's the solution? So, one solution is you try to you try to um, remove nationhood from people's uh, from the way they talk about politics, um, from the lexicon of of uh, political discourse, um, and try to get people to think in, in either transnational or a-national ways. And, um, okay, so, so I, have, I, have, I, have two, I have two worries about that. One is I just think it's hopeless. I just, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen in, in, in the foreseeable future. I just think nationhood is so deeply sedimented in, uh, you know, the, the old literature on banal nationalism I think still has a lot of, Force nationhood is just it's part of it's 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 part of the everyday fabric of life, 
in in contemporary nation states. And so the suggestion that we would tell citizens or political actors and social movements not to use the discourse of nationhood just seems to me uh, a hopeless strategy. But I also worry that that if we did, it would have negative effects on the sustainability of social solidarity, which, as Reiner says, still primarily operates at the national level. And so we still need to we still need to support the ethic of membership that sustains solidarity at the national level. And so I I I think it, it's a it's a I, I grant that it's a, a risky strategy, but I, I I think we the progressives need to think seriously about how they can talk about nationhood and appeal to people's sense of nationhood in a way that is uh, that both supports solidarity and and inclusion. And and I think there are some examples of that. And I mean, I, I may be overly emphasized, overly influenced by the Canadian example, but I, I think we have a version of that here in Canada. I think there's a version of that in Australia. And I think there there are versions of that. There, there was a moment, at least, where there was a version of that in in Britain. Um, and I, I anyway. So I. But but my main. So I I'm cautiously optimistic that there is a viable. Uh, way of talking about nationhood that's that's progressive and solidaristic, but in any event, I I just think the idea of telling people to give up on it is a non-starter. Hmm. So maybe to uh, to finish the discussion, then, Ryan, are you um, more optimistic about the sort of progressives promoting the more transnational uh, identities and solidarities, or, uh, or what's their sort of best strategy? Not necessarily, you know. My uh, maybe Will and I disagree mostly on what we are most pessimistic about, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm definitely very pessimistic about the capacity of the left uh, and uh, left liberals, broadly speaking, to recapture the terrain of nationalism uh, in order to promote uh, a progressive agenda. So let me let me start by saying. Um, uh, most political scientists now think that we are no longer in the world where democratic politics is structured by a single cleavage, with, which is left versus right. They think there is uh, another cleavage that uh, runs vertical to this one, which is uh, between openness and closure. Uh, that has a lot to do with European integration, how your attitude towards globalization and your own personal uh, capacity to think of yourself as a mobile person rather than a settled and sedentary one. Uh, what uh, The nationalism that we see currently in Europe is very clearly in one of the four corners produced by these cleavages. And that means on the right uh, hand uh, side with regard to uh, most issues and on the closure side uh, at the same time. And if the uh, liberal progressive project is to combine openness uh, with uh, a left-wing agenda of redistribution, it's the extreme contrast that you can have to the way how nationalism is currently articulated. Uh, and that is mainly a European story, but not just. You know, if you look at what's happening in the U.S. today, uh, I think the terrain of uh, populist, protectionist, closed nationalism has been captured by Trump and, and his movement the, to a surprising degree in the nation of immigrants, the classical nation of immigrants. So we have to really worry how uh, we can re-articulate uh, this old idea of liberal nationalism. Having said this, uh, I, I agree with Will that uh, it's hopeless to abandon nationalism uh, and to say, let's talk about uh, the city and the European Union and forget about how this affects uh, the nationhood, because 
Indeed, cultural anxieties are largely associated with the idea of national identities and how they are challenged and transformed. But that means basically that you have to uh, embrace, as a liberal progressive, you have to embrace the idea of a radical transformation of nationhood, which is no longer just about diversity, but also about openness uh, towards other countries and uh, towards immigration more broadly. Uh, and uh, th that can sometimes be done successfully. You know, if, if I take a positive example, look at the evolution of German uh, nationhood and national identity after World War II. Uh, for all sorts of historical reasons, the German political elite has come to embrace uh, the idea that Germany can exist as a nation only within Europe. And it is an essentially European nation. Uh, and that is what forms the core of its current identity. That was a progressive project that allowed it to pursue, to a certain extent, also the other progressive goals we have talked about. But that already implied the idea that you can no longer imagine your nation as, a, as an insulated entity that will have the capacity and the power to address all the problems it is confronted with. You need to embed your nation in a wider uh, arena or in the case of the union, even the political union of, with other nations in order to be able to still pursue these goals. Uh, if that's the kind of transformation we are st uh, talking about, then I'm happy to uh, agree that it's about the transformation of nationhood that uh, addresses also the cultural anxieties. But the cultural anxieties need to be addressed by saying, uh, listen, there is no possible way you can retrieve the space, the old space of the nation, uh, in which all the things came together at the same level and in a single national identity. These are uh, days uh, of the past. And if we try to go back there, it's not impossible to go back. But the way back there re leads through isolationism, protectionism, and increasing conflict between nation states. Uh, and I think in Europe, probably more than in any other part of the world, the historic lesson is still this is a way towards disaster that we need to avoid at nearly all costs. And therefore, I think progressives ought to emphasize the idea that nations need to be transformed by shifting some of their power upwards and downwards and making them change uh, also in terms of their identity in these ways. To find out more about Will Kimberger and Rainer Beiberg and to find links to the articles referred to in this podcast, please visit our website, talkinmigration.com, where you can also listen to previous episodes. That was all for this time. Thank you very much for listening.